Thank you for tuning in to the Meridian Friends Church podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss any of the sermons posted each week. You can also find more information about our church at www.meridianfriends.org or on Facebook or Instagram by searching Meridian Friends Church. Now, enjoy the sermon. And so, you know, without Ken gone, there's a lot of things nobody thinks about, right? Like unlocking the doors or greeting or who's going to introduce the speaker. I don't know. I don't know what you guys are going to do next week, but you're on your own. (laughs) Jacob. Jacob's in charge. (laughs) Um, But um, I dearly love Alan and his wife Margie. Um, They have been in pastoral ministry for a very long time, and I don't have any information, so I can't give you that number. But most recently, they've been at Greenleaf Friends for a very long time. 17 years. 17 years. Um, And um, Alan and Margie, most recent, well, not most recently, but in 2017, they were um, dear friends. They've been dear friends all along. But in 2007, I got to clarify these things. In 2017, um, Alan and Margie walked through our sabbatical with us. And um, I don't know if mentoring is the right word more than caring for us um, during time away from the church, but also time to repair our hearts and our souls and our bodies away from ministry for three months. And so we had precious conversations. They listened to um, lots of things and were good listeners and good carers. And for that, I'm grateful. Grateful. Um, but recently, he has reti- retired or resigned f- from pastoral ministry at Greenleaf Friends and is now, and I, that's why I questioned the retirement part, is that um, he is our assistant superintendent of our yearly meeting starting just recently, and maybe he'll fill in all the gaps that I have missed. But I do want you to know that I respect and um, love Alan and Margie, and so he will be preaching to you today and the next two weeks, um, and so we're, it's a gift to have him here, to hear his wisdom, to hear his love for the Lord, and so I'm excited for what he has to share for us in the coming weeks. So why don't we pray for Alan right now as he goes to speak. Dear precious Savior, thank you for the gift of this day. Thank you for Alan and his love for you, his love for ministry, and for people to know you deeper. Lord, use him today, I pray, to minister to us, and may we, in turn, be an encouragement to him. Lord, bless um, this sermon as we just soak in your word this morning. In your precious holy name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Teresa. So, yes, we have been out here in uh, Idaho for, well, we came in 2005, December 2005, and I took the pastor at Greenleaf Friends. So to give you the, the short run around, um, I was born in Colorado, grew up in Rocky Mountain near the meeting. The five years of that, we went to Newburgh so my dad could go to George Fox. So he started that when I was in sixth grade, then we went back to Colorado, wound up in mid-America near the meeting, living in Kansas, where Margie and I spent the first 11 years of our married life going to college, and I started in, on pastoral ministry on the staff at Haviland Friends Church, where Barclay College is at. And from there, we took the big jump and went places that people out west never go. We went east of the Mississippi River. You know, we went the other direction and uh, spent 
uh, 19 years in Indiana Yearly Meeting, and uh, then came out west here. Part of that was we wanted to come back west. Part of it is our folks were getting older. By that time, my parents were living in Nampa, and uh, Margie's dad was still in, in Colorado, and we wanted to get near to parents as they were getting older, and it was just kind of one of those moves that um, worked out really well, and, and here we are. And I thought when I stepped down from, I just really felt free to retire or step down from full-time pastoral ministry after 40 years of, of that kind of leadership, and I was gonna find some other kind of job. And uh, I mean, people ask me what I was to do, I said, I'm ready to run combine. You know, I was just ready to get back to farming and that kind of stuff, which I did uh, a lot of long time. Uh, and and um, then Jim Lashana approached me and my, my wife and I just laughed. You know, we thought, we were gonna thought we were gonna sidestep this uh, salaried ministry stuff and here I am. Well, you know, when you submit your life to the Lord and you say, I'll do what you want me to do. Sometimes the Lord takes you up on that. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> you know, it's one of those, be careful what you pray. Um, it's really good to be with you. And in light of doing, uh, being here with you for, for three Sunday mornings, uh, what I decided to do was actually do a set of three messages. And so they're all going to build on each other. So I'd like for us to begin with uh, reading a couple scriptures from, uh, from 1 Peter. We're going to have... All three of these messages are going to come out of 1 Peter, and so we're going to um, work with that. So let's, let's begin by reading a couple of different texts from 1 Peter. Join me, if you would, please, from 1 Peter chapter 2. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles. Um, read along with me, please. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now we're going to jump over to chapter 1, and this will be the main text that we work from this morning. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. In the... Uh, in the uh, October 8 issue of World Magazine, there was a picture that was a two-page spread of the procession of the coffin of Queen Elizabeth II as she was being carried from Buckingham Palace to Westminster Hall in London, England. And so this picture uh, was in, in the magazine. Now, on both sides of that horse-drawn wagon, there's a row of military officers then next to them is a row of what I believe are Buckingham Palace guards. Every person's posture is erect, they're facing forward, and they are in step with each other. From such ceremonial processions as this to military marches, to college marching bands, football games, we've learned to look for everybody to be in step when there's a procession. Now, in contrast to that, I think of the Abbott and Costello movies that came out in the 1940s. You, you've seen them, haven't you? 
where part of the standard routine is whether it's a military procession or it's police officers or it's a marching band or something like that, uh, Lou Costello's job was to get out of step, to wipe out, to knock other people over. It's just standard gag kind of stuff. And it was the expectation was that no matter how hard he tried to walk in step, all he could do was mess up the march. And, uh, you know, I look at uh, Queen Elizabeth's procession. That was an in-step, one-time event filled time to honor her. Abbott and Costello were out-of-step comedians for a very brief period of time. But we as followers of Jesus Christ have a big challenge of living in step with the ways of the living God. That we're here to remember, we're here to rehearse, we talk about them, we practice them. We have to walk in step with that while at the same time walking out of step with the world. And the thing that's really been standing out to me, and you see it, I hear it as I talk with, with, with fellow believers all the time, more and more we are out of step with this world, aren't we? And we're walking in step with one director and out of step with the other. That's what I want us to work with for several weeks. How do we stay in step with the Lord while at the same time being out of step with this world? Now, Ken, I have no idea how to just blank this. I'm done till toward the end of the sermon. I'll let you take care of it. See, here's one of these changes at Greenleaf. I've never touched this stuff. They do it from the booth, okay? Yeah, it's like, yeah. So at any rate, I'll let them rescue me. Um, you know, it's just, I'm, and this morning, what we're not going to do, because this would be really tempting, so what I'm not going to do is say, oh, draft that world out there and stand here in church and rake them over the coals. You know what I mean? Set up the straw man and knock him down kind of thing and how they ought to live. We're not going to go there today. Um, even if I'm grieved at some of the stuff I see going on, and even if I think some of it's taken people's lives in a disastrous direction, that's not where we're going to go today, because that is actually not where Peter goes. This is where does Peter go? Peter goes with, you're living in a place that they speak out against you. That's what we just read. They speak out against you. So where do you need to put your attention? That's what the letter's about. It's a pastoral letter to people that were out of sync. And he's saying, here's how you navigate those waters. So we're going to walk with Peter. And today, we're really only going to go as far as the first uh, chapter here, where his word to them is, you are going to learn and remember to walk in holiness. Now, this New Testament letter, 1 Peter, was written to people who understood the tension, and they were trying to figure out this dance for themselves. So we're going to work on that here for several Sundays. Now, let's just kind of think a little bit about what they were going through. So these were people who had stepped away from re Greek and Roman gods and goddesses and had become followers of Jesus Christ. Now let's keep in mind, think about this with our culture, think about this with uh, newsletters that you read from missionaries around the world, different places. When people make a change in God, they change relationships to family. They change 
the values that they're willing to live by, they change their practices, and all of that communicates back. You know what communicates to the people that they're impacting? It communicates rejection. And it's personal rejection. And it infuriates people. And they don't know what to do with them. Here's what's going on in our culture. Our culture knows less and less what to do with us. See, we just, we just sang it this morning. We sang, take whatever you want. I don't want this world. Give me Jesus. Now, get outside of here. Are we crazy or what? Let's put on the other pair of shoes. We're nuts. We're just nuts. So, I had, uh, my father-in-law is deceased, but I had some interesting experiences when, when he was alive because uh, he was uh, at Colorado State University, and he was a, uh, in the engineering department for a while, taught biomed engineering, and then uh, at some point went back to practicing medicine at the student hospital there on the Colorado State University campus. Well, that put him in that university world. Well, I used to run around with my father-in-law. We'd go to different things together, and that, that kind of put me in, in those circles. Well, I got introduced as a pastor. Well, they didn't know what to do with that. But at the same time, I was the pastor of a friend's church. Now, their picture of Quakers were the ones on the other side of the Mississippi River. Okay, No, you know, the, 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 the more progressive, more liberal bunch. So what happened was, in that setting, they let down their guard because they really saw me as pretty liberal theologically and politically and everything else. That was their perception. You know what I did? I kept my mouth shut and listened. And so it was really, really interesting. And just, um, you know, I got a pretty good education in how nuts they think conservative Christians are. They really do. And so, so um, this is what Peter's talking about. How do you do this well when they're saying bad things about you, when they don't care about you, when, when you're nuts. And if it goes south on you, well, frankly, you, des you deserve it. That's what you ask for. So, uh, you know, with, with full sympathy to what's going on, and both for us and what we're doing to the world, you know, in terms of their, them, I really want us to think about how do we do this well. So um, here's where we're headed. Today, we're going to stop in chapter 1, where Peter says, we are called to be holy people. And we're just going to go as far as reviewing what it means to be called to be a holy people. Then, next week, we're going to move on, and we'll get into chapter 2, and we're going to move into how that means we're commissioned, uh, how it moves us to commission to proclaim the Lord. And yes, that's in the context of resistant people. That's where we're headed next week. And then the last week, we're going to wrap it up with his emphasis that's scattered through the book on living honorably. Now, these things are going to get woven together, but we're going to kind of, that's kind of the framework that's going to direct us here today and for the next two Sundays. Now, I'd like to give you this challenge. I would encourage you this week and next week, for sure, to at least read Peter through, 1 Peter through, at least once a week. Sit with it. Absorb it. Begin to prayerfully ask the Lord, how the Lord wants to speak to us as Christians today, right here in Ada and Canyon Counties, right here in 2022, how is it that as a holy people, we live honorable lives, 
when we know our faith, our values and priorities and principles are increasingly out of step with the culture. What does that look like? Let's be in an encouraging conversation with each other. You know, and like I said, today I'm not here to blast our culture or to seize the high moral ground or to declare how they ought to live because that's not what Peter does. We're going to focus on what Peter calls us to do. And one of the things I've really been challenged with as I've been thinking about Peter is to be, remember, who was Peter? This is one of Jesus' first disciples. He walked it from day one with Jesus. I mean, he'd done a lot of absorbing and processing over a lot of years. And so let's, let's pay attention here. Um, so let's work on this again. We're called to be a holy people. And I just want to read that text again uh, to us from chapter 1. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. I always turn that around. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Amen. In chapter 4, Peter names some of the ways how these called to be holy people were facing very real pushback from their family and friends. They were being maligned. They were being mocked and humiliated and gossiped about because they had changed from their old ways. And Peter does not give them a strategy. He gives them a calling to be holy. Now Peter's wording in verse 16, because I, be holy, because I'm holy, takes us clear back to the third book of the Bible, the book of Leviticus. We're starting in chapter 11. This and similar lines are repeated over and over and over again. Ancient Israel's calling as a people whom the Lord brought into the promised land was to be a holy people. The Lord promised to bless them and care for them in their new land. They would thrive under the Lord's guidance and hand. But first and foremost, they were called to be a holy people. It was a holy people, as a holy people, that they would thrive as they lived in step with the Lord God, who is holy. So what I want us to do is let's step back with Peter for a few minutes into the heart of Leviticus to pick up where Peter was coming from as he talked to them about being holy people. Now, Leviticus is comprised of two big ideas or two big thought sections in the book of Leviticus. And I know Leviticus, if you're trying to do you read through the Bible thing in a year, you dread chapters 1 through 8 of Leviticus, all those sacrifices. And I'm always thinking, why for people that wrote on scrolls, didn't they just write ditto? Go back and read column 1 again. And I'm going, oh, mercy. But there's Leviticus. So you got this, uh, you know, these two big sections. There's the formal part of who they were as God's holy or consecrated set-aside people. That's the ritual section. It goes through all those sacrifices. It goes through the, uh, the worship and the national days, you know, Sabbath and Passover, and goes in detail till sometimes your mind almost goes numb trying to absorb what it's saying. But the proper sacrifices are, 
are, and offerings are named and described. And within the description of those rituals and those holy days, we see the functions of the priest, and we see the people, how they're supposed to approach the Lord. And it's this really regulated, guided, ritual part of their lives as a people. Now, the second big section of Leviticus, and these overlap some, but the second big section of Leviticus is basically, it's uh, the day-by-day -day living. How are you supposed to live in this world? And the directives, it's just all these statements about how they're going to live, and these directives range all the way from sexual behavior to not doing anything that endangers your neighbor's life, to showing respect for the elderly, for being kind and gracious to the strangers who move into the land. It just goes, it's, it's all that stuff of, of daily living. And it's, how, it's, what underneath, it's what holy living looks like, because underneath all of that is this running theme of the holiness of God. And this line goes over and over again. You know, we're holy, the holiness of God underlies all of this, and then this repeated line, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. And it wraps up, comes with this huge culminating statement in uh, chapter 19, verse 2. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And it's not just about all that ritual stuff. It's about stuff like don't move the boundary marker on your neighbor's field. Don't cheat him out of a foot of his farm ground. Because we're holy. I mean, this is the stuff of holiness. And, um, and all of that, we've got this underlying theme of the Lord our God is holy. Now, holy is the only attribute of God that is named three times in a row in a worship setting. It comes in Isaiah chapter 6 and in Revelation, right? Both times you've got heavenly creatures or the people in the throne in Revelation gathered around it. What are they singing? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holiness speaks of God's complete distinctiveness. The God of the Bible is not a specialized or a customized version of of the other kinds of deity that people worship around the world. This is not Israel's version of some other god somewhere else. This is God revealing who God is. This is God declaring who God is. We're responding to revelation, not to something that, that, that we cooked up. This God, God is self-existing. God is the true, one-of-a-kind God. God is complete and God is pure. This is why God comes across sometimes to people as so uncompromising. Because God cannot compromise and remain holy. You don't compromise and remain pure. You don't compromise without sacrificing who you are. This is why the Bible is so, dis so clear and uh, definitive for us here. God's not going to flirt with uh, compromise of his, of his own self. If God was to compromise his character, then God would compromise God's love and grace and mercy and goodness toward us. For ancient Israel, for the first generation of Christians that Peter wrote to, and for us today, holiness, our walking in step with the character, the values, and the ways of, of God 
It's what defines us, who we are, how we act at all times and all settings. When God spoke all the details of instruction uh, in Leviticus, God was showing the people uncompromised, undiluted, untainted, formal worship practices and daily living that reflected God's character. God is holy and God's people are called to stand next to their God and take on the Lord's mindset, the Lord's ways, even in their finiteness, they were to behave like God. They were to line their lives up with God. Now, there's no assumption in Leviticus that they're going to get it right all the time. In fact, there's complete assumption in Leviticus that they won't get it right all the time. That's built in to the sacrificial system. God gets it. And that business of they won't get it right all the time culminates in the Day of Atonement. In that day, the whole nation practiced a formal event of naming their sins, confessing their sins. Even the high priest confessed his sinfulness, and there was a sacrificial animal there. And then there was a second animal, a goat. And that goat was ceremonially held here and confessed over the goat was this confession that we have sinned against the Lord. And that was, and it was ceremonially, those were placed on that goat. The goat was led by somebody out into the wilderness and released. And the symbolism was pretty obvious. The Lord is removing our sins from us. To use today's terminology, once a year, they came together before the Lord as a people who didn't get right all the time, but knew they were called to be holy, and they rebooted. You know, <laughs> they started over as a people who recognized that they needed God's grace if they were going to walk in the holiness of God. Now, let's come back to 1 Peter and to Peter himself. Peter grew up in the tradition that we just described. That was his formation. That was the heritage that Peter grew up in. Peter was also one of Jesus' first disciples. And he became one of the chosen 12 that Jesus named after a night of prayer. Jesus walked with Jesus, or Peter walked with Jesus. And Peter came to, to understand that Jesus was the culmination of the sacrifices that were given to the people in Leviticus. Jesus was the final sacrifice for sin. He was the one who on the cross carried the sins like the goat carried it into the Jesus bore our sins. Why? Why? So we could live a holy life. So Jesus, he, he pulled this stuff together. He was the completion. And Peter names that we live in that and that we sure wait for it, Christ's return, don't we? But in the meantime, we are called to be a holy people. All who embrace Jesus begin their journey through life as a holy people in Christ, as a people who belong to God, whose lives are consecrated and committed to God, who are out of this identity taking on the mindset, the actions, the behaviors, the ways of God. They were to live and to act and respond to the world around them as a holy people because the Lord their God is holy. Here's where I want us to begin to 
pull this together today. Why do we need to think about holiness in 2022 when it feels like the world is cracking up out here? There's one reason. Because we walk with the living God and the Lord our God is holy. It is the non-negotiable. It is the non-negotiable. And this coming from Peter, who was writing to people who were trying to figure this out, as they were being more and more marginalized, as they focused their lives on Jesus Christ. So what we're going to do here now is just stop at this point in Peter. And uh, we're going to move into our open worship time. And I took a little bit of prerogative here and decided that the floor is not open for us to share this morning. Instead, what I'm going to do, because I've been in the Friends Church way too long. I know, I know all the angles, right? Um, what I really want to do is, I'm gonna, I'm, in a minute, we're going to project some reflection questions. And uh, I'm going to ask you to prayerfully think about these things. Just hold your own life and heart before the Lord, because there are ones that help us reflect on holy living who we are in the Lord right now and, and how we're practicing that. So let me read these to you, and then I'll project them one by one. So here's, here's what is going to come up here in another minute. This question. How does my formal life of worship and my daily patterns of speaking and behaving orient around the holy nature of God? And then the next question will be, what ways of thinking or influences from culture am I allowing into my life that threaten to dilute my understanding of God as holy and my living as a holy follower of Jesus? What am I letting in that is compromising that holiness? And what is one attitude, way of behaving or speaking that I can adjust this week to better live in step with God, who God is, and how we are to live as a holy people? So, um, I'm going to go back to, to uh, number one here, and I'm just going to leave that up for about a minute and a half or so, somewhere in there, and just invite you to engage with that question. And then we'll put it on to number two and then number three. And then I'll, I'll wrap up our, our reflection time here, which is really our open worship time, with uh, a closing prayer. So let's turn to these questions. 